0: Welcome to Behind the Headlines, the weekly news roundup from Utah Public Radio and the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm Tom Williams. A Utah skier allegedly took a shotgun to the ribs in a confrontation at Brighton. A Utah woman says she was touched inappropriately during a cosmetic procedure. She's the fourth to report the medical worker to police. And BYU-Idaho disinvites a music professor from speaking at a jazz festival after he aired his disbelief in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints joining me today are salt lake tribune olympics and enterprise reporter julie jagg julie thanks for joining us good morning good morning uh we'll be joined shortly by investigative reporter jessica miller uh, senior religion reporter Peggy fletcher stack reported recorded with me yesterday we'll hear that at the other program and we have with us news columnist robert gerke thanks for joining us robert
1: yeah happy to be here
0: uh, let's start with uh, Julie Jag. This is, uh, this is big news, I guess, uh, anything up at the ski resorts, but this is unusual. Uh Utah skier allegedly took a shotgun butt to the ribs in a confrontation at uh, Brighton. Uh, first of all, those who don't know where Brighton is, where is Brighton?
2: Yeah, so it is the town. It's the town of Brighton at the top of Little Cottonwood Canyon, Um Usually, I think most people just associate it with the Brighton Resort, uh, which is the main business there, probably maybe the only business there. Um, But uh, yeah, so a tiny town. I think it's 460 people at the top of Little Cottonwood or Big Cottonwood Canyon.
0: Yeah, uh, got a small town, but there's a town there. Um, And so there's private property there adjoining the ski resort, I guess, and the National Forest.
2: Right. So the ski resort is on National Forest, it has a lease. um, And then There's area outside of its boundaries that is still national forest. Um, And so, because it's public lands, the resort has to create or has to allow some access, some access points, egress points to that national forest land so people can enjoy their own public lands. Um, But near the bottom of that uh, is some old, you know, a lot of old mining claims and whatnot that's now private property.
0: So these egress points, I guess some some skiers and snowboarders use that to exit Brighton and uh, was this a shortcut or what what are they doing?
2: Right. I mean, some people would call it the side country. Uh, I know that that's kind of terms gone out of out of favor recently because of just it makes it seem like it's not um, as dangerous it is as it is. It's just ungroomed, you know unmaintained um, area. You can still ski and snowboard there, but that's the kind of area you'd want to have a you know your backcountry gear with your your back your probe and um shovel but yeah so and for for years for a long time um people have used that to get back to their their vacation rentals their homes or just to get back to the parking lot there
0: so two separate incidents you're reporting uh this happened saturday i guess um a snowboarder and a skier were confronted at gunpoint by a man tell us what happened
2: Right. Yeah, it's interesting because they came from two different directions. Um, One came from the resort through one of those egress points. uh, That was the snowboarder, and he's the one that caught it all on video. Uh, The other one is a skier, and he was taking a backcountry class through the University of Utah, and they were coming from Guardsman's Pass uh, through Brad's Run, which is a backcountry um, run that goes uh, from the right side, I guess, of this of where this happened and the skier or the snowboarder came from the or from the left side and the snowboarder came from the right but anyway yeah so snowboarder was trying to find his way back to his vacation rental at the end of a a ski trip with his buddies uh hitting several resorts in the west i think and came through there and it was the last day he said that they'd been trying to find the most direct route to their vacation rental through each of the days that they'd been there and he finally was so excited because he'd finally found what he felt like was the the pathway that was going to take him right to his vacation rental, which it was, but it also um, either went across or near some private property owned by uh, a man up there. And the man was waiting around a corner, uh, had a camp chair set out and waiting around a corner. And as soon as the guy, the snowboarder came around the corner, then uh, the man pointed a gun at him.
0: There, There are conflicting reports. Was this a shotgun or a rifle?
2: I believe it was a rifle. I am mm-hmm. no gun expert, um, but according to comments online of people who I feel like are are more knowledgeable about this, there was a lot of detail. I believe it was a rifle.
0: So the man was, appeared to be angry that people were on uh, his property, I guess.
2: Yes, yeah. It's a little unclear, uh, you know, where the snowboarder went onto his property. The area is cleared as though it was a road. Uh, and then he, once this as soon as this confrontation happened, he unstrapped from his snowboard and kept walking down um, for a few yards to the end of this access point that has a sign that says Old Prospect Avenue on it. So at some point it was a road or is a road, but the snowboarder may have crossed over the man's mm-hmm. um, private property. It's a little unknown.
0: So this way, man apparently happened. shoved one of these uh, uh, people. I guess he yelled at both of them. Shoved yeah. them on. Yeah. The other one, apparently he... Stuck the butt of the the rifle uh, in, into the ribs of the other guy,
2: right? Exactly. Yeah, the skier uh, who who had come across the man first, uh, I believe he stuck the um, the skier had told his friend that the man had stuck the um, yeah the butt of his of his rifle into his into his oblique into his ribs, uh, and he did the same thing. He just you know skied away, I believe, and then then the snowboarder came, and he is a a uh, guy who does filming. He's 41. He's from Fresno, um, and he just films, I guess, wherever he he snowboards, so that he can show other people his films and put them up on his website. And uh, yeah, so he had it. He caught the whole thing on tape, and the man was definitely shoving him with uh, with one arm um, while holding the the rifle in the other and yelling at him.
0: Did did these uh, skier snowboarders? Did they report this to police?
2: they did uh the skier reported it immediately that afternoon uh the snowboarder reported it on Monday but neither uh, had said that they are going to to press charges yet uh the skier said he won't doesn't plan to press charges um and the snowboarder was um, undecided last I heard from him
0: um so this man was on apparently was on his own private property I guess that that's has an effect here about whether or not charges could be filed right or successful
2: yeah yeah I, i'm and I'm, again i'm no no lawyer so i'm not really sure where where the law is i mean he had the gun on his property which isn't um a crime but uh i'm not sure if you know still pointing a gun at somebody even if it's on your property may still be considered a crime I'm, I'm not uh sure there and it sounds like yeah that's a little bit up in the air whether they'll be uh, any charges or anything will will happen to this man. He's already been um, spoken to by the police three times. And I know the mayor is very unhappy with what's going on and the neighbors are as well. So I think there's more to come. Uh,
0: yeah, this is made national news. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, tell us about the, the mayor's comments. Mayor is not happy with how, how this look, makes Brighton look.
2: Right. Yeah. Mayor Dan Knapp um, is is was fuming, basically, when I when I spoke to him um felt like it really cast uh brighton and brighton resort in a in a bad light um and said that you know just really gave the the town a bad name most of the residents there what's confusing i guess to him mostly is that the residents who buy their houses there know there's a ski area there know there's a backcountry area there uh he said his house you know he he lives up there and Backcountry skiers have been coming through long before he lived there and will long after he's gone. So it's just something that they usually accept is that you're going to, if you live next to a um, ski area at a national forest where people can ski in, that people will just come across your property and most people are pretty forgiving of it.
0: So the mayor calls this man, this uh, the man of the incident, uh, a problem child. That's his, his phrase. Um, uh, apparently... Uh, i don't know have there been other instance i guess they're there with anyone else it seems like uh, it's centered on this one man
2: yeah it's just on just on the one person um and you know I don't know um I have heard conflicting reports uh, i've talked to some people who know him who are just you know astounded they say this is never something that they would have ever expected to happen that this person um that you know they're concerned for that person's health because they they're just worried that is just out of character and then I yeah have heard. Um, well, uh, yeah Mayor or told me that neighbors had been complaining for a while apparently about this this particular man and uh, that he's been very protective of even the road that goes up there and just not wanting um, anyone around.
0: One part of this I didn't understand, I might be just out of it, not in the culture, um, um, the the man apparently shoving one of these uh, people, he said, what are you, an Icon user?
2: Ah, yes. So that taps into a deep vein of uh, of concern, I guess, um, among people, even Icon users, to be honest, uh, and Epic Pass users. So it's one of the multi-resort passes, right?
3: And Brighton ah, okay.
2: now accepts that pass. Um, yeah, it's the one um, owned by Altera Mountain Resorts or man- managed by Altera Mountain Resorts. And uh, yeah, so it's a multi-resort pass, and it's often blamed for overcrowding at resorts. It's probably not the only reason that Brighton and little and big, little and big Cottonwood Canyons are very crowded these days. But there's definitely a lot of animosity toward people who are on this pass. Um, just just because there's a lot of them.
0: Okay, that'll show you how uh, how out of it I am. <laughs> I no don't ski or snowboard, but I, I wondered about that. But that explains it. Yeah, that I guess that uh, that's, that's a touch word for uh, a controversy there. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And it yeah, it strikes at a deeper vein of just people feeling like. Their ski resorts have gotten overcrowded um, in recent years, and these these multi-resort passes, which are usually fairly inexpensive and allow um, quite a bit of access, are often blamed for that.
0: In the meantime, the skier and snowboarder said, if, "If this area had had signs posted and they'd seen them, they wouldn't have even gone in this area." It is I guess that a problem? I don't know if the I don't know if you asked the mayor about that uh, the, the signage
2: yeah so that's the confusing part is that it appears anyway that the man had not put up any signs by his property or any fencing around his property to say that it was private property um it sounds like neither of these people and i I would guess most people would not go by there if if they saw signs that said no trespassing or private property that there are other there are other routes they could take down usually sometimes you get a little stuck when you're on skis or snowboard but, yeah, they said that they didn't see any signs um, coming down. The The snowboarder who caught it all on film said that he has film of the entire route that he took, and he never saw a sign saying that um, he was entering private property.
0: The mayor is quoted in your story as saying he believes this man was using the gun as a prop. He it said he doesn't make it right. I, I don't know. Does that mean the mayor thinks the gun was unloaded? I don't know.
2: I don't think he knows. Um yeah, I think it is just conjecture, but uh yeah, I think he doesn't think the man would actually use it, especially you know, he just seemed to be trying to intimidate people to to scare them out of out of coming back that way and it seems like it, that has worked.
0: Uh, I don't know, you or somebody else asked the mayor something to the effect of uh, you know, can uh, can we do damage control with the reputation to Brighton, the, the mayor said that horse left the barn or something like that.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, I think it's a concern for the resort. I think it's a concern for the town. It will all blow over, but this is going to be something people are talking, talking about for a while. And obviously you don't want to have, you know, gunmen in the woods, you know, uh, pouncing on skiers and snowboarders as something associated with your resort. So, uh, but I'm not really sure how you can do damage control about that either. I think they're hoping that the police will, the unified police department will do something that will help. Um, you know, mitigate that damage. Um, uh,
0: before we go to Robert um, for a commentary, I just want to ask you just very briefly about a, another story uh, this week. Uh, this is the headline with a click of a mouse, Utah's 5,000 page 2034 Olympic bid officially submitted to the IOC. So it's official. It's, it's submitted, I guess.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They made, they made a big fanfare of it. And uh, I understand why, although it was, was funny just to just see everybody, gathered around um, to to send this this button you know you had the mayor there and uh, and the governor and um, Stuart Adams as well so yeah all these dignitaries gathered around behind uh, Fraser Bullock and Cat uh, Rainey Norman to to send this document but yeah it means that Utah is officially I feel like we've said this many times but it means they've officially you know said, we're doing this we have all our stuff together um and then they sent that to the ioc and it, it's pretty interesting the detail that this that they said that this um this document this bid submission has in it i mean it, it goes down to the how many people they're gonna hire and when and you know where and when hotels uh you know will be leased and yeah it's it's pretty pretty detailed
0: What's the next important date then? When when will we know officially? I mean, it seems uh, all but official, right?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, they have to have their contracts in by March 29th. I think they'll, they'll fly right through that. Uh, they just have a few outstanding. Um, And then the IOC executive board will vote on whether to accept their bid on in June, mid-June. I guess they have the, uh, the IOC will come out as well and, and do a tour in April and then yeah, they'll vote whether to accept the bid in mid-June. I can't imagine why they would not bid for that. And then it's up to the General Assembly, which can be kind of a political process. Um, Anita De France was on that call, and she she said as much that you still have to get through the vote. But yeah, then the General Assembly um, of the IOC will vote just a couple of days before the Paris Olympics, which uh, the local organizers are hoping will be will, all that will happen on Pioneer Day.
0: All right, yeah, that would be that'd be quite the deal. Uh, Julie Jagg, Olympics and Enterprise reporter for Salt Lake Tribune, thanks so much for telling us about this.
2: Thanks these. so much for
0: having me. I know you have to get on to something else, so thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, Robert Kirk, what do you think about this Brighton story? This, this, made, uh, this is made big. A lot of hits on the, the Tribune uh, website made national news.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody would condone a uh, armed confrontation over, you know, somebody who's crossing across land. I mean, um, you would hope that this that I I think you kind of touched on it with your question about signage. I mean, there there needs to be, you know, uh, Brighton probably needs to do a better job about making sure that people aren't doing this. Apparently, it's fairly common. Um, But I mean, it sounds like this guy was basically lying in wait for whoever came along uh, down this road um from what i've been told by people who skied it before it is private property it's fairly common for people to cut across it and so um you can it's sort of the larger issue i guess is we see these tensions in our canyons where we have you know this private these little patches of private property and forest service land and and there's a lack of clarity about who owns what where people are allowed to go and where they're not allowed to go but yeah, I mean the the whole notion of somebody getting their gun and waiting on the street or waiting in front of their place for somebody to come across just feels like it's uh, provocative unnecessarily and uh, you know there are better ways to approach this obviously I think that's uh, I think we can all agree on that so um but yeah I probably not the last one and it's not just limited to the ski resorts. it's any place where you have a lot of tourists coming to uh, and you can end up with these conflicts of private property. We've seen some other things in Southern Utah where where there are big confrontations and so forth. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, fortunately nobody was hurt. Hopefully Brighton gets a message that they need better signage there. And the, the homeowners in the area, the mayor, um, also recognize that there it needs to be more clarity to try to minimize these conflicts in the future. And hopefully nothing um, rises to this level again.
0: Well, let's uh, head toward a break. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, um, the weekly news roundup from Utah Public Radio and the Salt Lake Tribune. When we come back, we'll be talking with investigative reporter Jessica Miller. Uh, this is the headline, A Utah woman says she was touched inappropriately during a cosmetic procedure. we we'll more following this break. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, the weekly news roundup from Utah Public Radio and the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm Tom Williams. We turn next to Salt Lake Tribune investigative reporter Jessica Miller. Jessica, thanks for joining us. Let's see. We, uh, we're not hearing you, Jessica. Oh,
4: can you hear me now? Yes,
0: can hear you now. Yes. Hello. Great. Good morning. Thanks good, for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so, the um, headline here: uh, a Utah woman says she was touched inappropriately during a cosmetic procedure. As you note in the story, uh, the Tribune does not normally give names of uh, alleged victims of sexual assault, but uh, this woman has agreed to use her name. I, I guess she wants to get the word out. Why, why did she agree to have her name out there?
4: Um, I mean, I think this is it's a personal decision for um, for everyone. I mean, I I work with alleged sex assault victims a lot. And I, I think that it's kind of up to to everyone individually on what they feel comfortable if they want their name used or an initial use, things like that. It's just kind of people's comfort level. Some people find it to be you know empowering to have their name attached with the this you know speaking up and coming forward and some people have reasons you know related to work or their personal life or maybe they won't and so um for chelsea rasmussen who's the the one of the subjects of this story she felt that she um wanted to use her name as she talked about um her what she says happened to her at um at bell medical this alleged sex assault that she says happened to her
0: so um, what was the procedure she was having done, and then what did she say happened?
4: So she went to um, Bell Medical to get a procedure done where basically they liposuction fat from other parts of your body um, and put it into your breast, like a breast augmentation. And so she knew going into that, you know, that the nurse practitioner would touch her in in certain places. You know, would touch, be touching her like inner thighs or touching her hips. Um, obviously, touching her breasts because that's where the this um, fat was going. Um, but what she says happened was he um, that he touched her her genitals. That he moved that he moved um, her underwear to the side and made comments about her genitals, you know, saying comments like, it doesn't look like you've had four kids. They did a really great job um, sewing you up. And so for her that, uh, you know, that was not what she expected as part of the procedure. She didn't expect him to be touching her um, in, in that private area. Um, And so that was, that was the experience that she said she had at, at Bell Medical.
0: She said, you opened the story with this, that um, for more than a year, she didn't tell anybody and and in fact tried to convince herself nothing had happened. I guess that's not unusual.
4: No, and I mean, I I think that especially for these women, the ones who went through cosmetic procedures, um, they are given medication um, that can affect your you know, whether you're conscious, how awake you are, how drowsy you are. And so I think that she, like a lot of them are doubting, like, was this, this medication that I was on, did that really happen? Cause you know, you go into a doctor's office and this is, you're so vulnerable. You think this is a place you can trust the medical professional. You, you know, aren't wearing clothes a lot of the time. And so I think there's um, an inherent trust when you go into a medical office. And so when that trust is allegedly violated, I think people have a hard time like grappling with that, especially women who... you know, I think some of Utah culture uh, here is a lot of deferring to men in authority. And so when a doctor does something, I think a lot of the women that I've spoken with who've had experiences uh, like this have doubted like, well, he's a doctor, so I must have misunderstood or like maybe that was supposed to happen. So I think there is a lot of doubt generally with, um, you know, women that I've spoken with who have had similar experiences like what Chelsea has described happened to her.
0: So this uh, medical professional, Derek Pickering, um, a nurse practitioner, is that what he is?:
4: Yes, that's correct.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, I think he didn't speak for the story, but his attorney did send a letter, right? What, uh, so uh, I guess through through this letter through the attorney, uh, what is Derek Pickering's response to Chelsea Rasmussen's allegations?
4: Um, With this case, he denies that he ever touched her genitals and said that, you know, women who are coming in for these type of procedures, they are talking about their bodies and that they want to make, improve them. And so that is a very sensitive conversation. Women can be uncomfortable. And so the attorney said that the nurse practitioner sometimes will like make small talk or, you know, try to be reassuring. And so he said, if he did make a comment like, um, you know, you look great for having four kids, that he meant it as like a compliment and that it wasn't any, there was no like sexual um, intent behind that. So that was kind of his response to to her set of allegations.
0: Um, as you know, the story that uh, the Tribune has been reporting on challenges patients face when reporting sexual abuse allegations against healthcare professionals one of the problems is communication among licensing officials and law enforcement. Uh, that appears to have been the case here as well, right? There are other women who have uh, made allegations against Mr. Pickering.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the primary issue here, um, you know, so so Chelsea Rasputin did end up filing a civil lawsuit. She went to Draper police to report him and. Um, not knowing at that time that there had been three other women before her who also had gone to police with similar accusations involving the same uh, nurse practitioner and so really what, what i found in my reporting is um you know there had been a woman before chelsea who had reported to draper police um, and then two women had reported to utah valley university campus police where this nurse practitioner had worked before and so the Communication breakdown really happened where when Draper got that that first report, they had no idea that two other women had reported to UVU campus police. They didn't know that until quite recently. And so they believed that they were kind of handling this singular um report and they had lost contact with the the first, their first alleged victim and kind of closed the case and um, so I'm not sure that they, they might have handled it differently had they known that this was not the first woman who'd gone to police that this that this had been um, reported in the past, but you know nothing really had come of that up to that point.
0: Uh, so previously Mr. Pickering had worked at Utah Valley University, right Student Health Center. Um, there's a woman uh, who you' are identifying as CC um, who, who's made allegations. what what are her allegations?
4: Yeah, I, I think that it's important to note. like to step back a tiny bit where um, CC was actually the second student to report him to police. Ah, there was mm-hmm. a student who reported him in 2015. Um, I I don't I don't know who that person is. And so the, all we really have to go off of for that is a police report that says they reported it. The police closed that um, they said it was it didn't seem like they really investigated much, said that it was a misunderstanding due to cultural differences. and. Um, as far as Pickering's attorney was aware, you know, this nurse practitioner didn't even know about it. He had no idea that someone had reported this in 2015. Um, and then a year later, a woman who wanted to be identified by her initials, which is CC, she came in to the health center needing an exam because she was going on a mission, a church mission. And she says that, you know, she was expecting to get her eyes checked and like her breathing and things like that. And, but she said that Pickering was very insistent that she have a pap smear done that she have a breast exam done and when she said no I don't I don't need that he she says that he said that he wouldn't sign her missionary paperwork with unless she agreed to that and so she felt very pressured to have that exam done and so after that she went to police and reported essentially that that she felt forced into having an unnecessary examination done of, you know, private areas of her body.
0: What does Pickering say about that case through his attorney?
4: Um, he said that, you know, this woman was 27 years old and she'd never had this these type of exams done before and given her age and some of her medical history that it was an, a needed recommendation and that it would have been malpractice not to have suggested that. But they do say that he would have, you know, only suggested it and never, you know, would have made a comment of, I'm not going to sign this paperwork or force her into it. So they kind of pushed back on the um, claim that she w- that she was forced into it and said, this would have just been good health care. This is just medical guidance that he was giving her, but the decision was ultimately hers.
0: Uh, so CC is quoted in your story as saying, he took advantage of my religious beliefs. I was hundred percent committed to serving a mission. So sh- she feels like he I guess what she means by that he feel uh, she feels like he put pressure on her to to give her view an unneeded exam.
4: Exactly, yeah. The comment that, you know, that she says that he made of I'm not going to sign this this paperwork unless you agree to this. She needed that paperwork signed in order to go on a mission. She had to have medical clearance. And so um she felt like he was he took advantage of you know, the fact that this was something that she was passionate about and would do anything to accomplish. And so she felt like she was taken advantage of in that moment.
0: Oh, uh, did CC report this to police and what happened?
4: She did report it to police. She reported it about two years after it happened. And, you know, the police didn't really see it as a crime. they just said like like the, the officer I think wrote in his report like I'm not saying anything criminal happening here and advised her to go to the health center and she did that there seemed to be there was a, an investigation done and the health uh, the director of the health center ultimately decided that that Pickering had followed you know medical guidelines and best practices and that there wasn't anything improper that happened.
0: Uh, There's another report you talk about in your story, a woman known by the initials H.S. I guess this is the previous case at Bell Medical?
4: Yes, yeah. She also went to Bell Medical. She was getting a um, lower stomach liposuction done, so nothing like with Chelsea's procedure where where it was fat being inserted into her Her, breast. Her chest was not part of the procedure at all, but she says that Pickering um, grabbed her breast during the procedure, Um, and she she felt right away that that was, you know, completely inappropriate. And she reported him to police the following day after her procedure and also called um, Bell Medical. But again, that case didn't really go very far. Um, The police said they lost contact with her and in talking with her that she seems to kind of remember that, like, oh yeah, maybe I was supposed to give the medical record. So it does seem like there was a lot. Uh, the communication kind of broke down between her and the police initially, um, and so the case kind of just was closed because they they you know they weren't getting communication from the alleged victim. Um, so that's what kind of happened there. But now with with Chelsea's report, um, the Draper Police Department is actively investigating again. This woman, um, the other Bell Medical patient, she's. Participating in this investigation, they now know about the other UVU cases. So they're they're looking at this case now, knowing these past reports that that had been made um, that they they weren't aware of previously.
0: What does Pickering say about this case through his attorney?
4: Um, he also denies inappropriately touching her. He said that um, it's possible that what she felt was a cord moving across her chest during the procedure, but that he didn't um, touch her chest.
0: Now the attorney, um, he, I'll just quote from the story. He says these former patients concerns, according to him, raise the question of whether any male healthcare provider can work in the area of women's health.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what he's the claim he's making. I mean, he said that, that, Pickering had um, chaperones present during this time that he followed, you know, kind of best practices and that he's still being accused of this.
0: Now, Chelsea Rasmussen is, uh, she's suing in civil court, right?
4: Yep, yeah, that's correct.
0: Uh, you know, all, all, you know, all these went to the police, varying degrees of uh, response there, but she is, uh, she's going to, to civil court. What does, what does she say about this, this whole process?
4: You know, it was really interesting when I first started talking to Chelsea. I think I, we we started speaking last September, right after she filed her lawsuit, and she talked a lot. You know, she'd seen other stories where, you know, I've talked on this program about an OBGYN who had 94 women accused of sexual assaults. And at that time, last September, she was kind of like, "This is a very lonely journey. Like I'm by myself. I'm the only plaintiff in this." She had no idea that there were other women who had reported, and she found out from the police department as they were investigating. Um, she found out about the UVU cases from from me, actually, as I was doing some records requests myself, trying to see if there were other people. And so, you know, she, during these last six months, she would find out there's another woman who reported, there's another woman that reported. And that was a really difficult um, feeling for her, where she felt like she um, was really re-traumatized every time she found this out, and then was just frustrated knowing that other, you know, police departments had known about this and nothing or little had been done in her mind um, up to this point.
0: Well, thanks for telling us about uh, about this. Uh, Jessica Miller, investigative reporter for Salt Lake Tribune. Appreciate it. Thank you. Robert Gerke, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think, you know, I Jessica has
1: been doing great reporting on this topic for for a while now. And and it, the thing that keeps I, I keep being struck by every time one of these stories comes out is how siloed this these investigations end up being that that in this case we you know nobody knew about the previous uh, complaints when they were investigating the subsequent complaints and regulators seem to not have the full picture when they're uh, making these determinations on you know the validity of the claims and so um it feels like there's at, at a minimum there needs to be better communication better record keeping You know there's got to be a way for 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 not to get to as she pointed out in the previous story 94 people coming forward against somebody uh it shouldn't get to four people coming forward against somebody before a determination is made and so you know i i think it highlights a real weakness in the system um it's challenging obviously difficult i can't imagine how difficult for these people to to make these allegations against somebody and go through this experience and they're, they deserve, you know, uh, not to have their claims, you know, disregarded because they're because the regulators or the police who are looking at this only see part of the picture. And so, you know, hopefully we see some change out of this uh, you know, from a policy perspective um, and and, you know, going forward, there's there's a better system to handle uh, these types of complaints.
0: So in a, about a minute or two, we're going to go to underplayed stories of the week. Uh, then we'll take a break, and uh, we'll, then we'll have my uh, recorded interview with Peggy, Peggy Fletcher Stack. Uh, but just a, a, about a minute and a half here, Robert, I want to uh, get your take on, on your story about uh, baseball. Uh, the legislature, I guess, allocated about $900 million. Uh, the hope is to lure a Major League Baseball team to to Salt Lake, right?
1: Yeah, there's there's two bills actually. One is to try to lure a major league baseball team to town. The other is to try to get a NHL hockey team here, Uh, and they're both kind of moving in tandem. The baseball bill has is already gone to the governor's desk. The hockey bill probably will this after well will this afternoon be uh, given final approval by the Senate and sent to the governor. Each of them allocates about a billion dollars, you know, roughly. the state would put 900 million issue 900 million in bonds and then repay the debt with a sales tax increase in the district um and and potentially down the road have to come up with some additional money in, in some way um the millers obviously have not got a team yet um but they're hoping that you get this package in place and so then you can go to mlb and say hey look we've got our ducks in a row give us a team um the same thing with the with the hockey team um Ryan Smith, the Utah jazz owner is trying to get this subsidy. Um, it's a, it would be a sales tax subsidy throughout Salt Lake City uh, with the proceeds of it going to develop this ten eight, or ten block area that would be the new sports entertainment district um, that would be sort of home to a new stadium or a renovated Delta center. It's unclear which that where where he could have an NHL hockey team play. Um, You know, city leaders are very encouraged by this, especially in the terms of the ballpark bill, because it would be over by the fair park, um, which is an area of the city that hasn't hasn't got the attention it probably should have. Um, And, you know, there's not a lot of vibrancy down there. Um, The LDS church issued a statement saying that they support it, uh, that, you know, that would create a more vibrant downtown. Uh, the, The hockey team one. I should be clear, the baseball announcement is probably a couple years off. They're saying 2026, they want to get their collective bargaining agreement done, and then they might look at expansion after that. So it's not immediate. Um, there is some money for the, de- developing the surrounding area, hotels, bars, restaurants, roads, sewer, stuff like that. Uh, so there'd be some state subsidies going to that as well.
0: All right. Um, you can find that reporting uh, by Robert at sltrib.com. Uh, So let's uh, let's turn to our underplayed stories of the week. Um, And uh, Jessica Miller, what's your underplayed story of the week?
4: Um, I think I'm cheating a little bit because I'm not going to pick one story. But I think with today being the last day of the legislative session, um, just going to sltrip.com and seeing what the team has done this week and will do today, um, they've really been working really hard this week. And so I would just point everyone to that coverage and get caught up on what lawmakers have been doing um, in these last days of the session.
0: All right, sltrib.com. Robert Gerke, what's your underplayed story of the week?
1: Yeah, I'm going to pick one of those legislative stories.
0: And probably Jay
1: Swall's been covering the, um, the booze news you can use, I guess, you know, and it's it, there's every year there's a big liquor bill that comes out. Oh, I'm sorry, it was Colby Peterson, I should I apologize for that. Um, but this year they're gonna be raising the markup, uh, the tax on uh, alcohol you buy at the store. I mean, it would probably, it's pretty minor, you know, probably 20 to 30 cents a bottle, depending on what you get. Um, changes to the number of licenses that are gonna be available, things like that. Um, but you know, this is, this is sort of an ongoing, every year we see little minor tweaks to liquor policy and, and Colby was on top of it this session and, and has a little rundown, you can read it,
0: sltrib.com. All right. Sltrib.com for that one. Just a programming note, uh, next week on this program, we'll have a recap of the legislative session. Uh, of course, uh, today's the last day of the session, uh, for this year. Um, well, we've been talking, uh, with, uh, Jessica Miller, investigative reporter. Uh, thanks to you, Jessica. Thank you. And uh, news columnist Robert Gerkey, thank you.
1: Yeah, you bet. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. Uh, earlier in the program, uh, Olympics and Enterprise reporter Julie Jag. And following a break, we'll be uh, uh, having a recorded interview with senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. And the headline there, BYU disinvites a music professor from speaking at a jazz festival after he aired his disbelief in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We'll have more following this break. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, the weekly news roundup from Utah Public Radio and the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm Tom Williams. And uh, joining me now is Salt Lake Tribune senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher-Stack. Peggy, thanks so much for joining me.
3: Happy to be here.
0: So this this story is uh, getting a lot of interest. Um, I'll just read the headline, BYU-Idaho Disinvites music professor from speaking at a jazz festival after he aired his disbelief in the Church of Jesus Christ for latter--day Saints. Um, so uh, who are we talking about here?
3: We're talking about a trumpet professor at Utah Valley University by the name of Ryan Nielsen. He is he um, nationally recognized professor of music but his uh, his expertise is trumpet. He was invited to participate in a jazz workshop and perform as a guest artist uh, at a jazz festival on the BYU-Idaho Rexburg campus. And he was asked last November or so. And uh, the night before he was leaving for Rexburg, he got a call from uh, a previous faculty member that he had known in the Department of Music saying that he was no longer welcome to participate, nor would he be allowed to perform or teach or be in any kind of workshop on the campus uh, going forward.
0: So uh, did BYU-Idaho say anything? Does uh, they have a spokesman saying anything? or?
3: the spokesman uh spokesperson declined to comment about this um the uh reason he he came to understand Ryan came to understand the reason was that uh in 2020 he had given an interview with uh an online uh podcast Mormon stories interview in which he described his his loss of faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a a very public site. I gave a lengthy video interview about his loss of faith. But even after 2020 and before now, Ryan had been invited back several times to play or to talk about jazz or the trumpet. This is the first time he's ever had the experience of being disinvited
0: no um I believe he he taught there before right and then he then he, he did. then he went to yeah, UVU yeah yeah
3: and um, yeah mm-hmm. until 2018 uh, for about a decade he taught at, at byu Idaho he he actually grew up there and his father was in the Department of Music as well before him and uh but then he left in um 2018 for Utah Valley University.
0: Now, uh, according to your story, uh, Ryan Nielsen's understanding is that the the invitation went up through all the the, the regular chains, and uh, yeah. we believe it was a vice president, a school vice president there BYU Idaho, who rescinded that.
3: That's what he has come to understand.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, understand again from your story that uh, I a faculty members, a group, went to the new school president, right?
3: Yes, yes, they did. Um, they they asked for a meeting, a face to face meeting with the new president Alvin Meredith. And at that meeting, many of the people, the concerned people, spoke of Nielsen's character and his expertise, and they were, um, they were opposed to this action. But the, at the end of the meeting, uh, the president, I guess, though. Again, as reported to me by a source, the president was sympathetic to their concerns but but maintained the the position of not having him
0: so in the meantime um I guess some folks uh got up a t-shirt uh what, yes what did the t-shirt say
3: <laughs> the t-shirt it was a black t-shirt and it said Ryan just wanted to talk about jazz mm-hmm <laughs> In other words, he he had not been invited to speak about his faith or loss of faith. He was invited to talk about the trumpet and jazz. Um, that's why some people felt that that it was uh, unreasonable to disinvite him.
0: So you quote uh, Sean Scrivener. Um, I guess he's known Ryan Nielsen for many years. He's the one who organized that shirt campaign. What what is he saying?
3: says, uh, he, of course, he supports he supports Ryan, who's a longtime friend of his and also his teacher. He says, you know, it was the shirt was just meant as a playful way to capture both the absurdity and gravity of the situation. What should have been a non-issue blew up into an essay on the complex dynamics of fear and power baked into Mormon institutions. In other words, um, Scribner just didn't. Again, see any reason why he couldn't? Uh, Ryan couldn't talk about jazz or the trumpet. He, he's not talking about his faith. And and Sean says, yeah, he Ryan is actually a bridge builder, and he's he's he seems human people, not not so much who's on the side of faith or not faith.
0: And Ron Nielsen um, is saying. Uh, again, reading your story, that he's been approached by, you know, friends who are, who continue to be faculty members there, right, BYU-Idaho,
3: uh-huh.
0: uh, who are essentially saying, I wish I could be, I support you, I wish I could be more public about my sport.
3: Yeah. Well, there's some real concern. Uh, uh, we've reported before about BYU professors disagreeing with administrative moves or positions, and they have to be careful.
0: Uh, you also uh, have some quotes here from Jason Bergman. Who is he?
3: Jason Bergman is a Latter Day Saint and professor, trumpet professor at Indiana University, who uh, just about two years ago was at BYU Provo. Um, he said that he was very disappointed and concerned about the treatment of Nielsen, and uh, he further he went on to say that. You know he defended Nielsen as being a a, a gifted teacher and a jazz educator, and um, and Bergman also until recently was president of the International Trumpet Guild, largest academic organization in the field, and and as I said a, a Latter Day Saint, and he he said he didn't he really didn't think that he could recommend BYU Idaho. Uh, or future jazz students are, you know, if they come to him because this issue, you know, people will see it and be concerned.
0: So this jazz festival went on without Ryan Nilsson, but as you point out in your uh, story, he, uh, he did show up on campus,
3: I guess. He, he did. He, he sort of spontaneously got in a car and drove up there and, and uh, hung out with his friends on the faculty and, was greeted warmly and about a dozen people showed up wearing those t-shirts and he felt he felt warmly accepted but still sad.
0: He uses the phrase final goodbye Um, um, and uh, he said referring to the fact that he grew up there right and his dad was uh, taught there he taught taught there he says those halls are full of ghosts for me that so I, I guess he's Uh, Planning on not being invited back and probably not going back.
3: (laughs) I I think it's pretty safe to say he will not be invited back because that's actually the message that he got, which is not only you're disinvited from this, but you're not welcome back here in in any capacity, Mm. at least not any formal capacity. I'm sure he may go there as a friend or something, but he, he will not. It's pretty clear he will not be invited back in his
0: profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine continue to go el- el- other places, right? He's, it sounds like he's in demand and he teaches at UVU, I understand.
3: He does teach at UVU. And uh, I think he's already uh, that um, Jason Bergman has already lined up some gigs for him um, in Indiana.
0: Well, I just mentioned so, I just mentioned here, the if you go to sltrib.com and uh, pull up the story, there's a photo of him Wearing that T-shirt, Ryan just wanted to talk about jazz, and there's a trumpet there, so a black T-shirt. You
3: know, Like I said, playful, but also poignant.
0: Well, uh, Peggy Fletcher-Stack, thanks so much for telling us about this.
3: Sure, my pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Behind the Headlines, the weekly news roundup from Utah Public Radio and the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm Tom Williams, and I hope you'll join me again next time for the program. Thanks for listening.